following message was given by Tim Abbott on Sunday, December 17th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org. Good morning and welcome again to Redemption Hill. My name is Tim. I am one of the pastors uh, here. It it truly is... uh, a joy uh, to hear those conversations going on and to be able to gather together um, as, as uh, God's people, as His church um, each week. Um, uh, a little bit of a look ahead, just a few announcements to give you an idea of what the next uh, few weeks are going to look like. Um, next Sunday is Christmas Eve, so Sunday, uh, Christmas Eve falls on a Sunday this year. Um, so we will be uh, together uh, next week and then of course... Uh, that means that New Year's Eve also falls on a Sunday, so we will be um, all together um, here on those, those two Sundays. It will be really uh, exciting to be able to, to, to celebrate and to remember all that God has, has done in sending His Son into the, into the world. Um, but uh, there's something uh, immediately after that um, December 31st service that uh, is, is unique. Uh, we are uh, in, immediately going to start um, installing the new seating, the new chairs uh, for this church building. And so um, a lot will be going on, um, which means that the current seats that you're in cannot stay here um, past December 31st. And so at the December 31st service, as we, as we commission and send off everybody, we're going to commission and send off these pews. Um, <laughs> Uh, out there. So uh, a couple things. If you want one, um, they, they, they will become available. Um, if, if this is something you want to add to your, to your house, uh, keep a piece to remember uh, the, the pews by, uh, we will have an opportunity after that service on uh, December 31st um, to actually take, take one of these with you. Uh, because um, the people who are coming in to remove them uh, after that will not be as gentle and loving with these pews as you will be. So um, we'd love for you to take them with you. So that means that we are actually going to be two weeks, we're going to be not meeting here because they will take two weeks to install those chairs, uh, to bring them in. Um, And so uh, for January 7th and January 14th, we will not be meeting together here. Um, What that means is that uh, for some of us, we're going back to our uh, old stomping grounds. Um, we will be returning to the north side and Holton Elementary School um, for January 7th and January 14th. Uh, we are going to be meeting all together as, as God's people. Um, if you have, have missed the, the love and labor of setting up an elementary school on, on Sunday morning... Uh, then this is this is your time. This is your chance. Uh, so we're going to set that place up, and it's going to be it's going to be wonderful. But that'll be January seventh and fourteenth, and then in January twenty first, we're going to come back together. Uh, the new seating will be in here, and we will uh, kind of return to to normal. Uh, we will celebrate all that God has has done. So um, we'll let you know more about that as as things get closer. But that gives you an idea of what's what's coming up um, for us. Uh, here today, we are in uh, the third week of Advent as, as we uh, look forward, as, as Christians have for uh, thousands of years, they look forward to the coming of, of Jesus into this world. We, we, we remember and celebrate Christ coming into this, into this world to save his people. Um, we get to be a, a part of this in, in, a, in a unique way. Advent is, is about anticipation that Jesus will come again. And so we are still looking forward to the time where we will be t- with Jesus together for all eternity, where he will come again, take his people to be home with him. And so um, we get to remember uh, that. We have been uh, in the book of Hebrews now for 13 weeks. Uh, it, is, it has been a, a, a wonderful time together. There's a running theme throughout the book of Hebrews. The author of Hebrews is uh, kind of relentless in, in this theme. It is, it is said over and over again. So you have heard it um, in various ways for 13 weeks, and you'll hear it for at least two more. The theme is Jesus is better than and everything else, everyone else that you can put your hope in. So keep on believing in him. Jesus is better than anything and anyone else that you can put your hope in. So keep on believing in him. The author of Hebrews um, over and over again reminds us of that. Um, the Jesus that we remember and celebrate during Advent and at Christmas, um, he, is, he is better than everything else. And so no matter what we experience, no matter 
uh, what our suffering has looked like or um, is looking like right now, no matter who you feel like has let you down, um, we are called to, to keep uh, pursuing and keep running after Jesus. He is just better. And so here in Hebrews chapter 12, we have more of the same because our hearts need to hear more of that same message. Uh, we are primarily going to focus on the first three verses of Hebrews chapter 12 uh, today. Uh, you can find these verses on page uh, 1008 of the Pew Bibles in front of you. Um, we'll primarily just stick here throughout the, throughout the morning. Um, but uh, go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. We are told, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you for the gracious gifts that you've given us. Um, thank you even now as we, as we think about uh, Jesus being sent into this world and all that means for our lives, all that means uh, for the people around us, uh, Father. Um, I, I pray that at all times um, that we would be looking uh, to, to you, that we would um, uh, be turning to you, that, that this wouldn't just be a seasonal thing, but that we would uh, look to you uh, in every aspect of our life. Uh, Father, even in the midst of, of suffering and hardship and hostility, uh, Father, uh, we, we, can, we can turn to you, we can look at Jesus, and we can find hope. And so I pray that you would give us um, a renewed hope this morning. I pray that you would um, uh, just shore up our hope and our joy that we have in you um, as we turn to look at your son. Um, uh, remind us of these things today. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, there, is a, there is a race in the Sahara Desert that is described as a 156 miles of hot, sandy terrain running over, the, running over dunes. It, is, uh, it takes six days to complete this race. Uh, it's just six days of running in the Sahara Desert. It is often called the toughest foot race on earth. The, the, the Jungle Marathon in Brazil is 150 miles over five days. It's in the depths of the Amazon. The runners will face uh, mud and humidity. They say that the thin air doubles the effort it, it is required to move. Um, it also claims to be the toughest race in the world. Uh, the Iditarod Trail Invitational 1000, um, in case you're wondering, that is 1,000 miles, uh, is one of the longest and toughest races in the world, and it takes place during the winter in Alaska. The 1,000-mile race apparently faces 50-degree below zero temperatures, gale force winds, blizzards, mud, uh, deep snow, and much more. Uh, it is often referred to as the, one of the most challenging experiences on the planet. I did check, and registration is currently closed on this one. <laughs> Just in case you were thinking, I'm going to sign up for that one, I think. Now, all of these things have at least one thing in common, and that is that I don't want anything to do with them. Um, I, I, I literally stopped myself from even watching the highlights of these races on YouTube this week. They just sound absolutely miserable. The longest foot race in the world is actually held in New York City. Uh, it is 3,100 miles, and it is run around one city block over and over again. Yeah, that's the right, that's the right thing to feel. Um, I, know, I know many of you love running, and I love you for it. Um, but even to many of you who love running, a 50-day race around the same block, running the same course over and over again, 60 miles every day, probably doesn't sound super appealing. And so I, I am not personally encouraged or helped by the thought of having to participate in a race and comparing the Christian life to a race. But the author of Hebrews and, and, and often throughout scripture, um, inspired by the spirit of God, 
um, the, the race is chosen to describe the Christian life. Not a five-day race or a thousand-mile race or a 50-day race, but he chooses to describe the Christian life as, as a lifelong race. And so it is, it is important for us to consider what this actually means for our lives today. The Apostle Paul talks about the Christian life in, in this way. He actually uses his final words to describe the Christian life in this way. The book of 2 Timothy is considered by most to be the final thing that, that Paul wrote not long before he died. And towards the end of that letter, he tells Timothy, he's writing to him and he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Why is this picture of a race used to describe the Christian life? It is because God wants us to endure. He wants us to keep going. He is preparing us to see that the Christian life can and will be very difficult. There will be times that feel hard. There will be times that feel like you don't want to keep going on. And God wants us to be clear on that. He wants us to know that. He wants us to endure. He wants to help us with that. Hebrews has already told us in chapter 10, you have need of endurance. This is something that we need as, as Christians. So we need to be clear on what that means. We need to remember here in Hebrews that the author is writing to a group of people who had believed in Jesus. They said, yes, I believe in Jesus. But they were tempted to turn away from him, from following after him. They, they are facing genuine, real difficulty and suffering. And, and it has caused them to wonder, why does this have to be so hard? They were on the edge of saying, I, I'm, just, I'm just done. I just can't keep doing this. Many of us, many of us have, have been there. We've experienced that. We've asked those questions. I know some of you are probably there today. The author is helping us to have the right mindset with the Christian life. God is setting clear expectations for us, and that is kind. There will be difficulty. You will need to endure, but you can do it. It is possible. It is not impossible, and it is absolutely worth it. It is, it is, it is greater and, and more rich and more full than anything else you can get in this life. It is worth it. It is the reason we are given Hebrews chapter, chapter 11. Shelby preached so well last week. This is the background for these verses in chapter 12. The author spends all of Hebrews 11 reminding us of the, of the stories of those who had run this race, who had endured in the midst of, of great difficulty and suffering. These men and women had finished the, the race, not because they were especially great at it, not because they ran it better than others, but they, they finished this race by looking to God, by looking to Christ, by believing in Him. This great cloud of witnesses were all those who could testify that, that, that by grace, through faith, you can finish the race. You can keep your faith. They are witnesses because their lives tell us that it is possible and it is worth it to endure. It is worth it to keep running this race. The race is difficult. Truthfully speaking, it is actually impossible on our own. But as all of those people show us in Hebrews 11, it is completely possible in Christ. It is completely possible by the grace of God. So then how do, we, how do we do this? The author is, is, is kind in directing us on, on a number of things that we need, several things that we need to consider to be able to run this race the way that God has intended us to. He starts with two things that we need to set aside or lay aside, two things that we need to remove from our life so that we can run this race to be with Jesus. First, he says that we must lay aside every weight. The most important thing that we can do in this life is to believe and trust in and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And so the author is calling us to, to lay aside the things in this world that, that would get our eyes off of Jesus. The author mentions anything, anything that restricts us or weighs us down. There are things in this world that, that while they might not be sinful directly, they, they slow us down and keep us from running after Jesus. 
As Christians today, we often only ask ourselves, we're, we're looking, whether we acknowledge it or not, we are looking to check boxes off to say, I didn't do this sin today. I didn't do this sin today. We often only ask ourselves, is this sinful? Does, is, is there somewhere in the Bible that, that strictly forbids this? But we should be asking things like, does this help me pursue Jesus? Does this actually make me love Jesus more and pursue him? Do the things that I watch and listen to help me see Jesus and pursue him? Or do they take my mind far away from him? Does the way I'm, I'm pursuing my, my life, well, the way I'm pursuing money, the way I'm pursuing my career help me pursue Jesus? Or does it take my focus off of him? Those things aren't necessarily sinful, what we watch and, and how we spend our money and what we do with our free time. But they can easily, easily take our eyes off of Jesus and onto the things of this world. We should be asking, do the things that I think about in my week, the things that I do with my weekend, do they help keep me running after Jesus? Or do they take my eyes away from him? Theologian John Calvin put it this way, talking about this passage specifically. He said, there are all kinds of burdens which delay and slow us down in our spiritual race. There are all kinds of weights that slow us down such as the love of this present life, the pleasures of the world, the desires of the flesh, earthly cares, riches, and honors, and everything else of this kind. Anyone who wants to run in the race of Christ must first relieve himself, let go of these things, of all the hindrances, because we are already slow enough to start, and we shouldn't allow any other causes of delay. We are in, we are in grave danger in our culture and in our country of becoming so consumed with the things of this world that we never really make any effort to pursue Christ. God has made every effort to, to, to go after us. He sent Christ into this world and he made every effort to save his people. And we can rest in that. But it should also drive us to make every effort to pursue after him, to run after him. So we must lay aside everything that would keep us from running after Jesus. We are then told specifically, lay aside every sin that so easily entangles us. Sin isn't simply a, a list of do's and, and, and don'ts. Sin is, sin is active. Sin is at, at work. It entangles us. It, it captures our hearts and leads us away from Jesus. Sin keeps us from the good things that God has for us. Again, we kind of just look at sin as something that we need to do or not do. But, tr but truthfully, sin keeps us from something. It keeps us from going after Christ. It keeps us from seeing Christ clearly. Sin keeps us from enjoying and seeing the things that God has for us. It blinds us so that we cannot see clearly the glory of God. Sin slows us down from running towards our great and beautiful and mighty Savior. Sin dulls our hearing so that we cannot hear all that God has for us. And all of us, each of us, should, should want to aggressively wage war against these obstacles to running towards Christ. God is calling us to aggressively fight against sin. I was encouraged this week by reading 1 Timothy 6. This is, again, the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to Timothy encouraging him as, as a man of God, encouraging him as a pastor to run this race. And he is saying, not everyone is going to run this race. Not everyone who claims Christ wants to run this race. And he is encouraging him to pursue Jesus. And he is doing it by saying, don't let sin entangle you. Don't let these things take hold of your heart and capture your heart and slow you down. And he starts by describing those who are not truly interested in pursuing Jesus. This is 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 3. He's talking about those people. And he said, there are those that are puffed up with conceit and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. There are those who desire to be rich, and they fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. 
It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith. There are those who are, who are captured, who are entangled with sin, envy and slander, the love of money, the love of the things of this world. It is through these cravings that some have wandered away from the faith. And then he encourages him. He tells him what he needs to do. He says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Run away from these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Flee or run away as far as you can from sin. Get away from envy and slander and dissension. Get away from the love of money and all that it produces. Run away from these sinful things and pursue the things of God. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight for the faith. Run after Jesus. These are the words of someone who takes this seriously. Fight, flee, pursue. Sin entangles us. It keeps us from this race. It keeps us from running this race well. The word entangles literally is, is, is a picture that sin captures us, takes hold of us, and just will not let go. I, I know that we have all experienced this. I have experienced this. There are sins that so easily entangle my heart and my life. For many years, I, lying and deceit has been one of them. I can still remember at an early age lying to my parents and getting away with what I wanted to get away with, thinking, this is great. Um, Lying allowed me to avoid the difficulty of the situation. When I, when I know I've made a mistake or, or I just feel the, the pressure of a situation, that sin so easily comes to my mind. It so easily entangles me. I think if I just lie about it, I won't have to deal with the impact of, of what's happened. Early on in our marriage, I've shared this before, but I had my own business and it wasn't doing well uh, at the beginning. I had a series of failures and so I was, I was just very determined to make it happen, very determined that it would not fail. And so um, without talking to my wife about it, without letting her know, I started to borrow money uh, to support the business. Um, I got credit cards in, in her name and my name and, and it just kept getting worse. And the more I covered it up, the more I, I, I lied about it, the more I just couldn't see what God wanted for me, the more I cared less about what God wanted for me. The sin was entangling in, in me in a way that I felt like I couldn't get out of. I, I shut off to my wife. I stayed up at nights with anxiety and worry about, about what was going to happen. Um, I, was, I was lying to others to cover up. And, and to, to defend the other lies. I was dealing with the guilt of, of not just what I had done, but the, the, the fact that I continued to lie about these things. I would get short and angry with, with her she, when she would try to talk to me about these things. I was angry at God for just not turning these things around. I had to work harder and harder, and it entangled more of my heart and my life. And, and in the midst of it, God showed me clearly that I could be set free, that there was an answer, that there was a way out. I felt like these things had a hold of me. I was no longer in control of them. That's what it felt like. But I could be set free. And it was by turning to Jesus through confession and repentance and saying, I don't, I don't want this anymore. I want to be set free from these things. I, I don't want them to have hold of my heart and my life in the same way. And, it, and the answer was simple. God was ready to make me free. God was willing and gracious to make me free from those, from those sins that so easily took hold of my heart. And, and so now today, even though I feel it at times in, in my life, I can feel it welling up. I often go to someone and just say, I just want to be honest with you about the situation because I know my heart. I know that it is easily entangled by sin. I know that I'm going to turn there. And so we repent and confess and are open about those things because they have no hold on us. 
They have no grip on us. Even though they feel like they are easily entangling us, God has sent his son into this world to set us free from those things. They do not have a grip on us. We do not have to treat them like that. We do not have to treat them like they're the only things. God is at work. We have his power. So we flee from those sins. So we see that we must lay aside every sin and everything else that weighs us down from running this race. And then he gives us things to be proactive. How do we run this race well? What do we do to run this race well? First, we see that we are actually running this race with others. We see that we are running this race together. Verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 12 again tells us, he says, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That small word, we and us, is translated in this passage four times in these three verses. The, the, the original author used the plural term to indicate that we are in this race with others. We are in this race together. The race is difficult, but we are not alone. We have Christ and we have our brothers and sisters around us to help us in this. My wife... Jen and I have been married for 23 years, and when we were first married, we were traveling uh, to see her family in Missouri, and we were flying out on a plane, and we had a layover in Chicago at O'Hare Airport, and we had one of those situations where we landed about 20 minutes uh, before our next flight took off, and we were easily 30 miles from the gate uh, for our next (laughs) flight. Uh, it, it could not have been further away from where we were. Uh, and I've already confessed, I don't, I don't love running, but we had no choice. So when we got off the plane, we just took off, full-on sprint, not really even knowing where we were going. We just sprinted across O'Hare Airport. And about three-quarters of the way there, we're both getting pretty tired, and, and Jen, Jen stops. And I just look at her like, we've got to keep going. And she looks at me uh, in complete seriousness and just says, go on without me. <laughs> and, and so I look at her and I, and I say, I love you. And then I just take off. No, I, I, didn't, I didn't do that. Uh, at first I was like, yeah, that makes sense. We need to get there. I, I realize, then I realize we're married and we're going to see her family. <laughs> We literally have to get there together. There is no option where I can leave my wife behind, get on an airplane, and fly to my wife's family and leave, leave her there. This is, this is how, though, we should view the Christian life together. We, we are a family. We are running to see Christ, our Savior, and our Heavenly Father. We couldn't just possibly take off and just leave everybody else behind. In verse 15 of chapter 12, we're told, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. We're told, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. We don't want anyone to fail in this race. We don't want anyone to leave the race and just say it's not worth it. Make sure, do all that you can to help everyone finish this race. Get to that prize of Jesus. Don't let anyone give up. Fight for them. Run your race, but run it locked arm and arm with those around you. This term, let us, is used many times throughout the book of of Hebrews. In chapter 10, it's used multiple times in a row. We're just told, Hebrews 10, verses 22 through 25, we're told, let us draw near with a true heart. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let us not neglect to meet together. Let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us keep running together. Let us stir up one another. Let us not neglect to meet together. Let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see that the finish line is getting closer and closer. Let us run this race together. Let us run towards Jesus together. We need each other. We need to be meeting together consistently with other Christians. We need to hear from other Christians and speak to other Christians. We need things like community groups, and we need friends who will care for us 
so that when we, so that we can see when someone else is hurting. So we can actually see that they are weary and ready to give up. We strengthen them and then and remind them to look to Jesus. We need to be close enough to one another to actually see when sin is, is taking hold of somebody's heart, to hear their confession. When, when we see in their life that something has slowed them down from truly running after Jesus, we call them to leave those things behind. Remind them of how much Jesus is worth it. Remind them of the reward, the prize that we're all going towards. I, I encourage each of you this, this, this week. I know, you know, we start traveling and thinking about the wonderful holidays that are ahead, but, but really take time to consider who can you encourage in, in the church this week? Who can you check in with after the service? And, and, and take real care to ask how they're doing. How can you care for them? How can you serve them? Is there anyone that you need to confess sin to? Is there someone that, that, that can confess their sin in, in, in their life to you? We have to believe that the stakes are high. The responsibilities are weighty. The, the race is not easy. And God has graciously given us others to run alongside of. We are running together. As, as we, we all are on the same track. Nobody has a different track. As pastors, we are running with you. We don't have a different race. We're not on a different track. We are all in this together, running together. We need each other to keep running towards Jesus. And so then in verse 2 and 3, the author firmly and completely turns now to Jesus. He turns our eyes completely to Jesus. We're told... Verses 2 and 3, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. If you're weary, if you're faint-hearted, if you've got sin in your life, the answer is the same. Look to Jesus. What keeps us from running toward Jesus? So many things, but we, we have to believe that there is something great that we are running to. We have to believe that, it, that Jesus truly is worth it. Something that, that is worth giving our lives to. Something that is worth shedding off all of these things. Some of you know that before I was asked to, to come on staff, I had my own business I, I sold rare books and documents, uh, which meant that about half my job was, was treasure hunting. Um, Pastor uh, Eric sent me an article uh, on Friday of someone at the Goodwill in Hanover that got a vase for $4 that turned out to be worth and sold for over $100,000. So go to that Goodwill in Hanover. Um, not right now, but later. During the more that more than 20 years that I did this job, I got to know so many, so many people, so many people that spent all of their free time out hunting for treasure. They gave up their weekends to go to auctions, yard sales, and thrift stores. They didn't have other hobbies. They didn't have other interests. They didn't spend their money on other things. They had one single focus. They wanted to find something incredibly valuable, a treasure. The majority of people who, who do that will never find anything of great value, but they are so passionate about the search, the pursuit, that they have let everything else go for the hope and joy of finding something that might change their life, finding something that they might have a story to tell people forever. They have such a hope and belief that they will find something, that they don't let anything stop them from pursuing that treasure. We should... We should pursue Jesus more than that. Jesus is the greatest reward, the eternal treasure that we should all be longing for. And yet we don't often have the singular focus that people do in just pursuing earthly treasures. Hebrews 11 has already talked to us about this, talking about Moses. We're told Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, and he knew the treasures of Egypt really well. 
Moses fixed his eyes on the reward and, and saw that being with Christ, even through suffering and hostility, was worth more than all the treasures of Egypt. That reward is Jesus, and he is worth more than everything else in this world. The Apostle Paul helps us again see this. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. He says, I count everything as loss. Why? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as trash in order that I may gain Christ. All I want is Christ. Christ is worth more than everything else. It surpasses the wealth of everything else. I just count it as, as insignificant in order that I may gain Christ. We just don't have this same mindset often when we think about running after Jesus. There is no treasure that can possibly compare to it. This word looking in verse 2 of chapter 12 doesn't really capture the force that we would understand it as. This is the same word we saw back in Hebrews 3. It means that we fix our focus. We stare intently and we don't allow anything to distract from it. When we, consider our, when we consider Jesus, we fix our eyes on him and we are single-minded in our pursuit of him. Nothing else comes into view. This text give us, gives us so much of the beauty and riches of who God is, of who Christ is, and why it is absolutely worth pursuing him and him alone. The text then points us to what is it about Jesus? What, is he, what has he done? What can we turn to? It says that he is the founder and perfecter of our faith. He endured the cross. He endured the shame. He endured hostility. He did this for the joy that was set before him. So we see that when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we, we see the founder and perfecter of our faith. These words are just loaded with significance to our lives. He is called our founder. Some versions translate this word pioneer, and I like, that, I like that version. He is the pioneer of our faith. We can look at all the men and women in Hebrews 11, but, but, but our eyes are turned to Jesus because he blazed the trail for how we are supposed to run. He, he is the one that set the path. He is the pioneer that made it possible. Otherwise, there is no way. There is no path. He is the one that shows us what that race truly looks like. He is the one that has perfected the race. He ran the race perfectly, in perfect obedience, without sin, without letting any weight slow him down. He ran the race of this life perfectly, enduring suffering, shame, and injustice. He was put to death by hate-filled sinners. He was betrayed by those closest to him, and yet... He endured. He continued to run. Literally, no one has ever run the race of this life like Jesus. So when we look at Jesus, we know that it's, it's possible. We are given confidence and hope that we can actually do this. He is not calling to us to something that he hasn't done himself. He is the pioneer that blazed the trail, and he also perfected it. Because of Jesus, and only because of Jesus, this race is possible. Then we see that, that we can keep running, we can, we can endure because Jesus endured so much more than we ever could. Verses 2 and 3 tells us that Jesus endured the suffering, despised the shame, hostility from sinners. We can find the motivation and the strength to keep pressing on, to keep running towards him because Jesus conquered every obstacle. Jesus is the one who endured suffering for everyone that would ever run this race. He is the one that endured betrayal by those closest to him. He is the one who, ex who experienced and endured hostility. He is the one that endured fatigue and thirst and exhaustion and beatings and crucifixion and death. And he overcame all of those things. Jesus is the one who shed his blood and gave his body and, and as he endured, he defeated and overcame the power of sin and death. There is no enemy left. There is no, nothing left there to keep us 
from pursuing him. The author of Hebrews is saying to us today, yes, you are suffering. Yes, the world is hostile towards you. So then what do we do with that? Do we walk away and say it just isn't worth it? Do we grow weary and faint-hearted and just say, I can't keep going on? Or do we fix our gaze on Jesus? Do we look at him? Do we see what he's done and what he's accomplished? Do we see his great love for us and say, I have hope. I believe that I can endure. The Bible is, is very real about emotions, suffering, and difficulty. What we, what we have suffered and experienced can never compare with the sufferings of Christ. But that doesn't mean that our suffering is unimportant or unseen by God. I know many of you have, have gone through real suffering. Many of you are going through real suffering right now. Many of us have been sinned against in significant ways. But God, God wants us, even in the midst of that, to keep running with endurance. He prepares us for it. Because Jesus ran with endurance through all those things. This word is used three times in three verses. Endure. He knows that the Hebrews are tired and weary. He knows that we will become tired and weary. He knows that, that this can be long and feel long, but he is speaking directly to our weariness. He is, he is saying, we look to Jesus who's done all of it. Call out to him for help. Verses 12 and 13 tells us, strengthen the feeble arm and the weak knees so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. We are called and we can only find the healing and the strength that we need in Jesus. I don't know how weary you feel right now or how weary you have felt this year, how much sin has worn you down, how much you're just tired and weary of the sin of others can easily lead us to think and wonder and question, why, why am I trying? Why am I working so hard? Can lead us to wonder if, if we can take any more, if we can keep going. It can lead us to wonder if this is really worth it. But when we fix our eyes on Jesus and we move towards him, there is no question left. There are no questions that hold up against it. The answer is, yes, it's worth it. Yes, it's possible. Yes, he cares. It is in him and him alone that we can find the comfort and strength and healing that we need. Believing in God, believing that God can bring good out of all of this doesn't, doesn't mean that we just enjoy all the suffering. God, Christ himself, despised some of the things that he was going through. But for the joy that was set before him, he endured those things. He is compassionate towards you and towards I in, in our suffering. He cares for you and he wants you to keep going. So when we, have, when we have hurt, when we're feeling hurt, when we're feeling overwhelmed by our sins, we run to Jesus. When we feel overwhelmed by the sins of others, we run to Jesus. We find the motivation to do this. We find Jesus and we see that, that Jesus himself did it because of the joy that was set before him. That joy was the motivation to endure the suffering and hostility that Jesus experienced. He despised and endured because he knew that joy was waiting for him. Joy was coming. He is seated at the right hand of God and he is seated there with joy. Jesus would experience the joy of being exalted and enthroned at the right hand of God. And he is seated there knowing confidently that the work has been accomplished. He finished the work. So Jesus does not sit there anxiously wondering if we're going to make it to the end of the race. He sits down joyful and confident because he is with God the Father. And he sits there joyful and confident because he knows that his people will endure. He will sustain his people. Jesus would experience the joy of saving his people. He would experience the joy of making his people righteous. He would experience the joy of welcoming all those who believe and trust in him into eternity with him together. 
He experienced the joy of going and preparing a place for us to be with him in eternity when this race is finished. That joy was set before Jesus and no suffering could slow him down from that. And that it should encourage us to keep running confidently and hopefully towards him. There is a joy that is set before us. There is a confidence and a hope that is set before us. It is to be together with our Savior forever and ever. To be together with the author, the the, the founder, the perfecter of our faith. That is our hope and our joy. We get to see him. He looked at God and he looked at what he was going to accomplish and for the joy set before him, he endured all these things. Now we get to look at Jesus and all that he has done for us. And we get to look forward with joy, the joy that is set before us, to be with him forever and ever. The missionary and author, Elizabeth Elliot, put it this way. She said, the secret to enduring in the Christian life is Christ in me. It is not me in a different set of circumstances. Our joy is not dictated by what changes tomorrow. Our joy is found in the fact that one day we have such confidence and such hope that we will be together with Jesus forever and ever. And in that day, all suffering, all sin, all the tears from the suffering, all the pain from the sin of others will all be wiped away. It will all be taken away. We will, it will not be there. We will see Jesus And in in the light of his glorious and beautiful and magnificent face, all those things will be gone. And we will be able to see Jesus alone. We will be able to see Jesus and, and know fully the joy that we have in him. That is the joy that is set before us today. And it is the joy that should lead us on to endure in this life and to worship and, and come before that, that God every day to live our lives as he has called us to live. We'll close out with Hebrews, the the end of this passage, Hebrews 12, 27 and 28. We are reminded of what we have waiting for us, but also what we have currently and what it should lead us to. Those verses tell us, therefore, let us be grateful. Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. We have an all-powerful, almighty God that loves us infinitely. We have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So when things feel uncertain, when, when, when our legs feel like they're ready to shake and give out, With gratitude, we look to God and believe that we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That gives us the confidence and the joy to keep moving. Nothing can take this away. God has promised it. God will accomplish it. In the midst of of suffering, hostility, the difficulty we experience, we are reminded that we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Everything around us might feel uncertain. It might feel like it's too much, but when we look to Jesus, we remember that the race has already been run perfectly, and we have a God who is all-powerful and in complete control, and that should lead us to worship God with all of our hearts and lives. It should lead us to sing out in praise. It should lead us to, 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 to sing out with all that we can, but then it should lead us with all of our lives to live in worship of Him. So brothers and sisters, do not lose sight of this. And the, as, you, as you press on, as you move on, don't lose sight of Jesus. Don't let the things of this world and the sins that take so hold, easily hold of our heart prevent us from seeing the beauty and majesty and glory of God. Don't let it keep you from seeing Jesus. Each of us together needs to run this race with the seriousness that it deserves to keep our eyes focused on the finish line and the one who has already won this race and defeated all the enemies. And and he is the same one that will ensure that we will finish the race. We looked to Jesus. 
we are going to spend a, a, a few minutes in reflection and prayer. But even as you consider the things that hold you back and weigh you down, there might be things to confess, things to repent of. Even as you consider the cost of enduring in this Christian life, I want, I want you to remember, I want to remind you that God is so faithful. He is strong when you feel weak. He promises to sustain you, to hold you up. As we move into this time, I'm just going to read 1 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9. It reminds us that as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we all want Jesus to come back as soon as possible, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, he will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. As we wait, longing, anticipating the coming of our Lord, He will sustain you. He will keep your legs moving. He will put others around you to pick you up and take you. God is faithful. He, he can be trusted. You can put your hope in Him and you will not be disappointed. You can move towards Him with joy. After a moment of, of reflection, all those who have trusted in, in Jesus will be invited to come and take the Lord's Supper, the bread representing the body of Christ and the blood representing Christ's body shed for us. We, we turn away from our sin and remember what he did so that we can have this life. And we get to take communion together as God's people. And, and then that will lead us into worshiping together, singing out God's praises, singing out with joy of what God has done for us. So let's pray together and then we'll take a moment to reflect. Father, we, we thank you so much for all that you've given us, for all that you've done. We thank you so much for sending your son into this world and all that he accomplished in his, in his, in his birth, in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection, Father. It is because of him and him alone that, that we can have joy in this season and, and throughout any season that we experience. It is because of him and him alone that we have hope, confidence, peace, and love. Father, remind us of that today. Keep our eyes fixed on him. We are so easily drawn to other things, Father. Help us. Help us to keep our eyes focused on Jesus and Jesus alone. Let that shape and transform our lives. Father, I pray that, that as this happens, that you will be at work saving people in our lives, family members, friends, and coworkers or neighbors. I pray that you would save them and bring them into this race with us so that we can run this race together with them. Father, through it all, I pray that you are glorified, that you are magnified in all things. We, we, everything that we have is because of you. Father, we, we trust you with it all. We turn to you now in, 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 in great hope, uh, in great confidence of, of what you have promised for us. We are grateful, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Tim Abbott, given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org. Dot .org